This episode of Probably Science is brought to you by The Great Courses Plus, who are offering our listeners a free trial of unlimited access to their entire library if they visit thegreatcoursesplus.com slash probably. Probably Science. Hello and welcome to Probably Science. My name is Andy Wood. I'm Matt Kirshen. Uh, we are joined... For, this is a... Another international guest, although less international than our last international guest, is the very funny and very Canadian John Hastings. Oh yes, very Canadian. I just I just beat a club to death with a, a law that <laughs> mandates that you have to say hello in two different languages. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, you are you are in Montreal right now, which is substantially more French than I was expecting when I went there the first it's time. It's a very interesting thing. Yes, it is. It's. It's it's very French for non-French people, and then France French people don't think it's French enough, right? Because they incorporate English into their language, and they have peanut butter. Which, if you know anything about France, they're very against peanut butter. Weirdly, I, w- I, I was have not aware that. of that, and I've spent quite a bit of time in France over the years. Yeah, notice no peanut butter anywhere for people that love a pastry. You never see peanut butter included. Like, if you put a peanut butter on a croissant, which is an absolute treat, the Parisians will lose their minds. You're looking for the French word for mind? Yeah, the tontette. I don't know it. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I I know ketchup is, is like, um, verboten to anybody with, I guess, like, any high high class, uh, any foodie, but I assume the French also. But peanut butter just seems like almost like... a delicacy, or at least almond butter is, right? Yeah, it's, again, it's an interesting thing about different cultures, the things that are and aren't accepted. So just, there's a fair amount of British people that can't get behind the peanut butter and jam sandwich. We can confirm or deny with Matt Kirshen now. That's mm. true. That's very much seen as an American thing, and we like to keep it on that side of the Atlantic. Which is ridiculous, yeah. because it's a delicious sandwich. Why wouldn't you enjoy a delicious, lovely peanut butter and, and jam easy. sandwich? Exactly, so easy. So many ingredients, it's so easy. I did. I we went on a family holiday to America when I was a kid, and I did come back with this as like information for my friends. <laughs> like, guys, you've got to check out this recipe that I'm bringing back from the, <laughs> from my travels. Because I was told that it was because in Britain you guys don't mix sweet and savory, which is a pretty noticeable thing, actually. I don't know if that's true because I one thing that surprised uh, my. American other half is when we went to the cinema in England and you have a choice of salty or sweet popcorn or 50-50. Yes. And that's not an American thing. Uh, and that's very much a salty and savory, uh, savory and sweet combo. That's true. But the popcorn at the movie theater is a very American thing because I was told by my, one of my best friends, his family is from Leeds, but he grew up in Canada. But you're supposed to get ice cream at a movie theater, not popcorn, which I think is madness. What? Is that, hang on. I'm pretty sure we always have popcorn as kids. But it's also, are you from London? Because he's from the north, so who the hell knows what they get up to over there? Yeah, but I wouldn't have thought. Okay, northerner listeners, is that a thing? I know. I remember if you go to the theater, or particularly if you go to like a kid's show, but even adult shows, one of the things that they will sell the concessions in the break, in the intermission, um, is like interval ice cream. And it's the, there's little self-contained tubs with, you know, the little tubs where... Inside the lid is a wooden spoon or plastic oh, yeah, spoon yeah, sometimes, yeah. but normally wooden. And then you eat ice cream that tastes a bit of wood. Yes. Right. <laughs> that just has this wood flavor that just permeates the ice cream because <laughs> that's all you can taste. Uh, 
and it's yeah about sort of a half or a third glass worth of ice cream in this little yeah a frustrating amount of ice cream yeah so that's definitely a thing that we would get but that wouldn't be a cinema thing that would be much more going to like the pantomime or the or the kids show so yes and this being a science podcast i don't think there are enough biologists and psychologists alive to actually explain the purpose of a pantomime or why people enjoy it, or why it's such a big thing in Britain, and yet America, that usually love train wrecks of culture, have ignored that. And let's all be let's all be thankful that the pantomime has not made it cross the pond. For good lord, we've talked we've talked about this so many times, and it's endlessly fascinating to me. I still don't quite get. Or Matt, you've answered this question. Yeah, but we, like some some of the some of the viewing is ironic. Well, I mean, it, it's it's daft family fun. Like it's yeah. it's silly family fun. There's a but it apparently evolved from Commedia dell'arte and right, right. that stuff. Um, but no one cares about that when they're choosing what to do on their Saturday afternoon. No, no, you know, you're not. Just, you're not going there watching like <laughs> someone who was on Home and Away, uh, a woman who was on Home and Away dressed as a boy, and someone else who was on the bill dressed as a woman. And uh, first of all, yeah, first yeah. of all, you were picking like way too classy of a television show for like usually it was, it's literally like <laughs> Jerry Springer and Brett the Hitman Hart are Hansel <laughs> and Gretel. And it's a <laughs> and also the thing that they always do when you try and call them up on the pantomime is they do exactly like it's fun, whimsy, family fun. You know, it's weird. To, but what they never talk about, which is the weird part, is it's a Christmas thing, but never about Christmas. It's never like. It's oh. never about baby yeah. Jesus. It's always like it's Treasure Island with David Hasselhoff and Tommy Lee. <laughs> well, there's a bunch of stand <laughs> There's a bunch of standards and they're normally based on classic fairy tales. So there's you know, Snow White, Aladdin, Cinderella. Yeah, Treasure Island's a big one you see. Uh and the uh, Babes in the Wood. Mm, the other thing that Matt is of course skirting, which I don't know has been discussed on this program, but we'll discuss it and then we can talk about science, is the fact that Britain as much as it's the home of some amazing alternative and cutting edge comedy, it is also the home of like comedy that would make the Proud Boys go, "Boo, that's a bit far." And those people, <laughs> and those people are still very popular, and they are always in pantomimes. Like if you guys want to lose your oh. shit, go Google Roy Chubby Brown or Jim Davidson, and you'll be like, "This is from the '70s," and you're like, "No, th- this I, DVD I, was recorded I, six months." Well, ago. they are from this. <laughs> That that is that is true, but I will point out though that those pantomimes, those shows, are ones that are billed specifically as adult pantomimes, and it's like, oh, the risque version. Yeah, ooh, he's going to be condescending to a homosexual. Come see Jim Davidson. <laughs> I'm I'm not going to defend in any way the level of humor on that. It is appalling, but it is also that's not the one that you bring your six year old to. To. So you don't bring your six-year-old to Roy Chubby Brown live in Too Fat to Be Gay, which I'm finding as a <laughs> yeah. DVD. You can see, that, purchase is that on a 100% one. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I, yeah. I am so obsessed with Roy Chubby. <laughs> like, Roy Chubby Brown, it is, ladies and gentlemen, if you want to learn about this, it sociologically is a fascinating person because he he knows what he's doing. Watch any documentary and he's like, oh, we're just having a laugh. Da, da, da. But you look and you're like, you're too smart not to realize you're like, Racists want to laugh too. I'm going to go. I'm going to go say a lot of mean things about West Indian people and make millions oh, yeah. of pounds or dollars. 
Wow, this DVD cover has so much going on. There's a little warning in the corner that's also a pie chart. It says, warning, do not consume if easily offended. Then it breaks down the contents in um, four equal-sized quadrants of this pie, but the joke is in the math of it. It says, one of the pie, one of the pie pieces says 100% hilarious, one says 100% live, one says 80% blue, the other says 0% PC. Here's some, here- <laughs> if, if you really want to go down a rabbit hole, look up, because Australia has their own version called Kevin Bloody oh, Wilson. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And then, and then you can really go down a rabbit hole trying to get to grips with who's stolen whose material between Roy Chubby Brown and Kevin Bloody Wilson. Oh um, other God. classic Roy Chubby Brown DVDs, and this one is from 2019. It's, it's <laughs> Fifty Shades of Brown, everybody. Oh, Fifty God. Shades of Brown. See, I don't know whether that's going to be racist oh, or about shit. It's going to be about both. Because I, I bet you there's a song, like, and it's he'll do that weird puckish British smile where they're about to do something that's incredibly unfunny, but they'll do it with a lot of energy so people go along with it. And he's just like, oh, it's time for the Fifty Shades of Brown. Like, it's going to be just like, holy shit. Um, Yeah, I, I'm, I mean, I'm... I'm not going to stand up for my countrymen I on mean, this one. I, <laughs> I also gonna... want to point out Matt is actually very rare because a lot, especially English comedians, a lot based there, they will either do what Matt's doing is like, there's no defending this, or they'll be like, yeah, but his timing is amazing. And it's like, that's not like... <laughs> <laughs> that's like saying, like, well, Jeffrey Dahmer was very good at butchering. Like, you can't... <laughs> he was charismatic. You cannot deny that he was a charismatic man with yeah, Jeffrey exactly, Dahmer. Yeah, exactly, Hitler's diction yeah, yeah, yeah. was impressive. Oh, let me tell you something about John Wayne uh, Gacy. Memorable. Memorable man. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, was he a, also, maybe he was a good clown. We don't know what his clowning skills were. I've always thought about this. Is the, yeah, like, that, that, that people always bring up that he was a clown. He must have been a tremendous clown. <laughs> to overcome people's inherent fear yeah. of clowns, you The inherent or, fear of clowns yeah. and also the, uh, the, the, the consistent and constant memory of him being a, you know... Uh, a, a psychosexual killer. Those those, those two factors are really competing <laughs> for people's attention. Yeah. Uh, God, there's probably a sketch in just the time between him being charged and convicted, where he's out on bail, and someone just really needs a clown for their party. <laughs> <laughs> so it's just like, look, he hasn't been convicted yet. He's innocent yeah. until proven guilty. And if you it's can think of a set. better way to get a party clown with an hour's notice when our guy has got the flu. <laughs> <laughs> look, oh, Bobo is out. Jingles is out. I think we're just going to have to go with this. Yeah. And we'll keep an eye on him to make sure he doesn't do any murders. Now that I think about it, I'm pretty sure John Wayne Gacy was not a good clown because his clown name was Pogo. And that's not a good clown name. No, I was just Googling John Wayne Gacy clown name. Thank yeah. you for getting yeah, that. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's right. What's up, guys? I tried to sleep with a lot of goths in my mid-20s. So <laughs> I know a lot about, a, a lot about true crime. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, you seem like a real Ed Gein victim. You want to get out of here? (laughs) (laughs) Your skin is such a beautiful shade of lampshade. (laughs) Uh, I. All right, back off. The the cat that wasn't to you guys. That was that was the that was the cat that is currently trying to chew through the microphone cable. Oh, I I I don't think I've told you about our little trip to the pet emergency room this time last oh, week no. to oh, no. to have about 
six inches Pause. of okay, wait, wait, wait. cotton fabric. Uh, I was going to make everyone <laughs> guess what was going to come after the word inches. <laughs> it's never good. Yeah. But he, yeah, he swallowed a strip of fabric, like a string of fabric, <laughs> and anything string... Anything string like is really bad for cats to swallow, apparently, because it can sort of knot up in their intestines. Right. So, yeah, they they X-rayed him, and they thought they saw something, and then they tried to induce vomiting, and that didn't work. So then they're like, "We're gonna have to get in the endoscopy guy." And you're like, "Oh, that's gonna be a fun charge." So, endoscope specialist comes in, and they anesthetize him. He now has two ridiculous bull patches, one on his ankle and one on his tail, where they, I guess had to shave him to put on the to put in the drip and the monitors. Oh. Uh yeah, and they fished out they fished out the fabric which he had swallowed and also two inches of measuring tape which he swallowed several weeks earlier. What an asshole. Wait. <laughs> measuring tape like the must be the very flexible kind, not the kind that goes in not Yeah, the, like the uh, the yeah. type that you would use for clo- Cl- seeing what clothes sewing. size of clothes right. you should wear. Yeah, exactly for sewing. We had a measuring tape that he had chewed through, and we thought we'd got all the pieces, but apparently exactly oh, two and one-eighth inches of it, as we can <laughs> very accurately tell, were inside That's him. the problem with a cat eating measuring tape, is you know exactly how irresponsible as a pet owner you are. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> two and exactly. Inches it is fully yeah. quantified. It is exactly objective. Yeah, there is, yeah, there is no... There is no quibbling over how bad a job you did at protecting your cat from itself. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, you did a. We did exactly yeah, a unpleasurable penis amount of not being a good pet. <laughs> <laughs> let's let's not. Uh, I'm not penis shaming. I'm just yeah. saying. That's a fair point. I'm not. I'm not trying to shame anyone out there that has a smaller penis. I, from what I've heard from ladies yeah. that have experienced it, all of those gentlemen make up for it in other ways and always have very nice personalities. Oh, uh, okay. But yeah, we we are exactly five point three nine seven five centimeters of bad cat parent. Oh man, of course, centimeters makes it sound so much worse. It does yeah. extra bad. Speaking of measuring things, I have to go really quickly look and see how much water I have now loaded into my uh, cowboy pool stock tank, whatever you call it, to make sure it's not overflowing. I'll be right back. Thirty seconds. Um, I don't know if this can be is- edited out, but I have no idea what a cowboy pool stock tank is. Well, it won't be edited out now because we're going to have to explain it. So Andy's place in Joshua Tree that he's been gradually cutting out and turning into the place he lives and might also rent out has apparently out in the desert, you, if you don't want to pay for a real hot tub, you get like a metal water tank uh, and you upend it and then you just fill it with water and it heats in the sun. And then people are like, hey, this is like a cool cowboy style hot tub. Whereas in fact, it's just a water it's just oh my god! I'm looking at them right now. Yeah, it's you a, guys talking about stock tanks. We were describing yeah. what it was. It's a big aluminium tub that is full of water. It's just it's a it's a grown up ish kiddie oh, pool. This, fa- this makes me want to live in the desert even more. I want to live in the desert so badly. I am married to a woman with intense Irish genetic heritage, and she would literally set a uh-huh. flame in the desert. <laughs> But, you know, you really just don't go, it doesn't sell it very well, but, you know, you don't go outside that much in the summer here, which is fine. And when you do go, you just go at, like, dawn or dusk and, uh... Yeah, she's, but, like, she's a, like, like, she's like a, she'd like to live inside a Scandinavian horror film. Like, she wants it, like, right. yeah, like, the, the opening scene yeah. of, um, like, don't, that, that Scandinavian vampire movie, that's what she's looking for. The, like, don't let them in, that's what she wants from life. Right, let, let the, the right, right one in, yeah. Pardon me. 
Don't let them in. What a terrible movie that would be. <laughs> it's a good sense of it when it comes to vampires, but yeah. Oh, God, this looks amazing. So what's the concern that it'll overflow? Why will it? Oh, you're. Well, I, I just, I, I had the hose running into it for like half an mm. hour. Don't water shame me. Uh, but also, for some reason, um, I've heard neighbors around here say that uh, we don't have any kind of, we don't have anything approaching a water shortage out here. And, and the water isn't that expensive in the desert for some reason. It makes no sense. Got all those cacti, baby. They're all filled with water. Got to know where yeah. to find it. Yeah. But yeah, this thing definitely is a little bit overkill with the total volume of water I put into it. So, And I would just leave it and try to figure out systems of uh, managing it. But like, I had someone else stay here when I was gone recently, so you don't want them to... So I drained it out and let them fill it up. So it's, uh, it's a whole thing. Anyway. Is, it, is that because they don't want to consider the fact that you've been in that water? Yeah. I mean, it's a little like sharing bath water, you know? It's, it's yeah, just I guess there isn't water. any kind of cleaning it's... process. There's no chlorine or anything in there. Yeah, I mean, I can do that. I got to look into whether there's a way without doing too much with crazy hoses and pumps to have, a, have water last yeah, longer. There's... It's quite the chemistry activity to get a pool oh, maintained. And... Like, you've got yeah, to really... Like it. It's a balance. Like, strapping to learn about how little I know about silence, but I... The idea, I don't know what pH is, but I just know that it requires a balance and it's something you're constantly monitoring. Like, I grew up in Canada where having a pool in your backyard is very much a status symbol. And that basically just meant that friends of mine's dads were constantly screaming about pH balance in a pool. And I <laughs> I don't know what that is. I don't. I know your body also has a pH balance. I don't know how a chlorinated pool and a body can share something on a chemical level. I think... Any, um, wait, any, not any liquid, but any, any, um, liquid that involves any aqueous solution has a pH, right? Which is, uh, yeah. acid, acidity or alkalinity, acid base. Yeah. And it actually to is the amount of hydrogen, uh, ions, right. hydrogen atoms. Or H ions or OH, H plus ions or OH minus ions, right? I think so, yeah. I used to know how to calculate it. I had to do that for A-level chemistry. I know it's logarithmic. I know there's there's exponentials and log, logarithms involved. And seven is neutral. Yes. And low is acid and high is base. That is correct. I believe, yeah. That bit I do remember. Isn't, uh... But, does, that, does that answer anything, John? Isn't shampoo a base but conditioner an acid, or did I make that up? I don't. I don't know. If they were, they would have a slight reaction when combined, so I don't, I don't know. I do I don't know that... So. Uh, bee stings are acidic and wasp stings are alkaline. Oh. Oh. Because you're meant to put bicarbonate of soda on a bee sting and vinegar on a wasp sting and it neutralizes it. Hmm. Shut the front door. Yep. <laughs> Something you learn every day. So, there you go. So if my pool gets out of control, I should either dump in more bees yeah, yeah. or more wasps. Exactly. Yeah, you've got to you've got to get it exactly. It's almost balanced. like this. It's almost like this science thing is provable through uh, trial and error. <laughs> yeah, no, it doesn't sound right to me. Doesn't sound like there's any anything to back it up. Uh, uh, yeah. Speaking of that, by the way, are we. I guess I should have asked this before we record. We are recording the morning after some very interesting news about um, empiricism. And um, um, people learning oh, firsthand it's about the greatest thing in the world, things. ladies and gentlemen. Uh, I don't want our listeners to hate us for saying that. I mean, this story I'll won't. Let you say that this yeah. story, this episode will probably go out a week later, and who knows what the story will be by then? I, oh I God, it, that's a very good point. In terms of science, it's a fascinating case study in terms of exposure during uh, the times of a pandemic. In that, 
Two people met on a stage, were attempting to maintain social distancing. One of them was clearly following regulations. The other one was not. One, and we don't even need to say names. One, one was negative for the coronavirus. One was positive for the coronavirus. And depending on yeah. where you fall in the political spectrum, you're really happy about this or you assume it was done by the deep state. Like, that's all we need to really say. <laughs> right. Yeah. And and the one that was tested positive had previously had during the course of that stage happening mocked the one who turned out to be negative for excessive exactly. mask wearing. This is the thing that's very yeah, interesting it's... about it. And it's again it's it's something that I enjoy. I I'm much less of a science guy than you guys. I'm much more of a uh like theater art dum dum, but I enjoy <laughs> the I enjoy watching conspiracy theories be proven brutally wrong and I enjoy watching the mutation of a conspiracy theory in the moment of incorrect where it immediately goes oh no he he's faking immediately and it's like no but that doesn't work with who he is it doesn't work with in terms of his ego oh no it was the deep state yeah, gave yeah, it to him because yeah. they want to kill him well unless he dies that's not true oh no no it's it's like no he just he acted irresponsibly and in the times of a pandemic and he got a virus. That's all that happened. There's no, yeah, it's Occam's razor or uh, Murphy's law. Here's what I or think. The Gordian knot. Here's what I actually think. The Gordian knot, right? Here's what I think will actually happen. And I'm saying this in a recording that will come out a week later. It, plenty of time for me to be proven incredibly wrong, as I have been many times. But I reckon they both had a really low exposure and a really low dose that might not have even been noticed or detected if they weren't people who are getting tested constantly. You know, you or I, if we got that dose, would not even realize it because we'd only get tested if we had symptoms and thought, oh shit, I better get mm -hmm. tested. Or just, you know, maybe once every two months going to get tested for the hell of it. Uh, or if we're going to go and do something. He's getting tested every day, at least once, possibly twice. And he has the tiniest exposure, but it's enough for it to be picked up and then he'll he'll be either barely or totally asymptomatic, and then he'll come out of it in a week and go, oh, it was nothing, it was easy to beat, and I'm so strong. That's Absolutely. my prediction. But it's, well, again, what's interesting, and then we can move on to other things, but what's interesting about any reaction he has to it, it doesn't, it won't work out well for him because I was able to beat it. Well, then anyone who died, anyone who knows someone who died from it, which in the United States is, is almost double the amount of people that... Um, uh, if, if all of the people that mm -hmm. were connected to a death from coronavirus vote for him, it's a landslide for his opponent. Um, yeah, but it does support the, the bullshit of it. Oh, it's just the flu. It's no worse than the flu. And people die of the flu and people don't die of the flu. And I didn't die of this. And so we shouldn't have shut the country down. And the Democrats want to shut the country down constantly. Yes, that's a, that is one way so to spin it, it. It's also we're three weeks away from an election where I think everyone has already made their decision. Yeah. I mean, that is... Uh, yeah, I think, I think, well, I, I, I'm pretty sure if you are, if you're uh, an elect a campaigner for a particular party or a particular movement, by three weeks before the election, it's nearly all get out the vote. Like, swinging, swinging the election towards you mm -hmm. at this point isn't, isn't persuading people in the middle to come over to your side or even persuading them to come over to your side. That just doesn't happen at this point. It's entirely about increasing the proportion of the people who are already predisposed to vote for you who then actually put a pen to paper and 
get to the ballot. Yeah. Right. Like, and so, and then we'll, we will learn all about, uh, the shifting statistics of our world, uh, come November 3rd. Yep. Yeah. The biggest bummer to me is like, first of all, I think it's so funny to look at the news right now and see everyone just uh, get when people get mad that that someone wishes a bad thing, I'm like, well, it doesn't matter because wishes aren't real. Like, there's no magic, so it, it doesn't. You know, it's it's like the opposite of thoughts and prayers. If someone is like hoping the president dies, it's not a story to report on that and be like, look how awful the left is. Like, it doesn't matter what I hope. I can't force it to happen by hoping for it. But what I do hope for it, not that it matters because it won't in, in, impact what happens. But uh, I would hope that at least. Whatever he has is serious enough that he would then just say to the public, hey, this sucks to go through, you know, but the chances of that are so slim, like, because that would be helpful to public health to just have the person at the top say, hey, this is serious. Yeah. Although you think it has a very short shelf life. I mean, I guess this close to the election, it makes a difference. But the fact that the prime minister of Britain was in hospital on a ventilator and then is still just making the biggest tit up of dealing with the situation. Yeah, it's true. That's true. Um, well, we, we generally have shied away from COVID-specific science stories, but this is this does seem vaguely relevant. The one that I just put it in the show notes there that Justin Broad sent in that apparently Neanderthal genes increase risk of serious COVID-19. Watch out, Jesse. Yeah. Interesting. How many? How much Neanderthal DNA do you have? Modern humans. Do we ever decide on Neanderthal or Neanderthal? I, I don't know. I, I always just pick at random. Yeah. Modern humans and Neanderthals could be forgiven for having other issues on their minds when they interbred in the Stone Age, says this very wry intro to this Guardian article. But according to researchers, the ancient couplings laid a grim foundation for deaths around the world today. Scientists have claimed that a strand of DNA that triples the risk of developing severe COVID-19 was passed on from Neanderthals to modern humans. The genetic endowment, a legacy from more than 50,000 years ago, has left about 16% of Europeans and half of South Asians today carrying these genes. The origins of the risk genes came to light when scientists in Sweden and Germany compared the DNA of very sick COVID-19 patients with that from Neanderthals and their mysterious sister group. Uh, oh, how do we pronounce this one? Is it the Denisovans or Denisovans? Or? Uh, I think accent in the second syllable, but I don't know. The I think so. Yeah. That how it, that's right, right? The the, Dissan, the, yeah, yeah, I think that's it. Sorry, I yeah, was getting yeah, it yeah. wrong. Thanks, thanks for correcting us there, John. <laughs> the stretch of DNA that makes patients more likely to fall seriously ill closely matches that collected from a Neanderthal in Croatia. Hugo Zeberg, his assistant professor at the Carolina Institute in Stockholm, said, I almost fell off my chair because the segment of DNA was exactly the same as in the Neanderthal genome. Zeberg and his co-author Svante Pabo, director of the Max Planck Institute of Evolutionary Anthropology in Leipzig, suspect that the Neanderthal genes have persisted in modern humans because they were once beneficial, perhaps helping to fight off other infections. Only now, when faced with a new infection, has their downside been exposed. It's unclear how the genes may worsen COVID-19, but one gene plays a role in the immune response and another has been linked to the mechanism the virus uses to invade human cells. We're trying to pinpoint which gene is the key player, or if there are several key players, but the honest answer is we don't know which are critical in COVID-19. This study was published in Nature. It says the cluster of genes on the chromosome on chromosome 3 
That's a good chromosome. We like that one. Yeah. They're most commonly found in Bangladesh, where 63% of the population carry at least one copy of the DNA sequence. Well, I didn't know Bangladesh was Neanderthal heavy. The yeah. genes in this region may have well have protected Neanderthals against some other infectious diseases that are not around today. And now when we are faced with a novel coronavirus, these genes have these tragic consequences. The, yeah, the researcher who led the international team that first dis- deciphered the Neanderthal genome in 2010 said his rough estimate was that about 100,000 additional people have died so far in the current pandemic due to this genetic combina- contribution from the Neanderthals. It's about 10% of all the deaths then, right? Yeah. Whoa. I'm bringing up the stats on Bangladesh's uh, cases and whatnot. Are we now trying to, you know, we're now trying to think of what shape his brow is. I don't think he has a big brow. He hasn't got a big, like, jutting who? brow. Oh, tr- oh, Trump? Yeah. Oh, the person who shall not yeah, be. Yeah, he who shall not be. I would say that brow juts. <laughs> you think? It's a big brow. It's a I big mean, brow. It's... it's a bushy brow, but I don't think it's an overhanging brow. It's often furrowed. Yeah. Does that matter? What's yeah. the furrow rate? <laughs> I mean, it's the interesting thing I find about genetics and stuff like that is that, so it's 10, it's, it's could be 10% of the deaths, but also couldn't it be also one of those things where there's a thousand other factors as, as well that could also prove that it it's just pure circumstance that that's the 10%. I get it. And then, uh, well, y- you you might be right. In fact, this article even says Mark Maslin, a professor at UCL and author of the book The Cradle of Humanity, cautioned that the work risked oversimplifying the causes and impact of the pandemic. COVID-19 is a complex disease, the severity of which has been linked to age, gender, ethnicity, obesity, health, virus load, amongst other things. Yeah, like it's a, it's that it's, interesting thing, I think, yeah. now that people's relationship with science because of the internet being... We still have that relationship with the internet is sort of still looked at as a newspaper we're reading. And so it's like, well, it's in the newspaper, but it's like one guy being like, only the Neanderthals are going to get it, baby. It Like people are like, it's fine, I... My great 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 grandfather was a con, so I come from a different genetic heritage. Like it's just sort of one of those things where it's like it could be true, but it also could just be a random disease that no knows no master and will just choke you to death anyway. Boy, Matt, you know I've been thinking about this Neanderthal Neanderthal thing, and I just really wish there was some way of definitively finding out how to how to pronounce it. I just don't want to be wrong anymore. Yeah, and, and even find out some things other than just the pronunciation of that word, like maybe some other scientific facts about how the dna of that species fits in with us <laughs> yeah well, wait a sec hold on a second have you heard of the great courses plus i have heard of it don't they sponsor probably science sometimes they, they do they do and it turns out they have a course that is called uh, unlocking the hidden history of dna and it's caught it's taught by sam keen who is a New York Times bestselling author. Um, he, you've heard him on NPR and has read him in The Guardian. Um, his books have been translated into 24 languages around the world, and he's teaching this class on the hidden history of DNA. And one of the lectures within that class is about these neander hmms and apes and <laughs> Isn't it? Isn't it just? Um, it yeah, is. so listen... If you're a regular listener to the show, you know what The Great Courses Plus is. We love them as a sponsor. They have thousands of lectures taught by top people in their field on university-level subjects and an incredible breadth as well. We've never really found a topic that they don't have some coverage of, whether it's art, sciences, humanities, wine tasting. They've got it all. Yeah. 
That's true. And it's platform agnostic as well. You can jump between your phone, your TV with Apple TV or Roku or whatever, and your computer, and it picks up where you left off. You really can't beat it. And of course, they're offering a free trial to our listeners if they visit thegreatcoursesplus.com slash probably. So do it. What else are you doing? We're still all yeah. indoors. You've got there's, time. There's nothing outside. You're a curious person. You like to get uh, get into new media and, and multimedia. All of those things. Is that how you pronounce it? I would have gone multimedia. Let's let's see if there's a course I, that uh, explains how. <laughs> multi, multi, yeah, multi. But once again, listeners, you can go to thegreatcoursesplus.com slash probably. That gives you a free trial. Once again, thegreatcoursesplus.com slash probably. While we're talking about ancient life on this planet, there's a little, again, maybe sign of possible life on other planets, or at least water, which is the beginning of life. Few people sent this story in. I know that. Uh, oh, where where have I lost it? Um, oh, Justin Broad sent it in, but I, I know other people did. There you go, Addison uh, Godinez. Apologies again for butchering your name, but water found under the surface of Mars, multiple water bodies. Hmm. I'm cl- I'm clicking on this link in the Independent uh, against my better judgment because it always. <coughs> God, I hate the Independence website. It just always sends my computer crazy. Man, you got to get them pop-ups. Get them pop-ups. Yeah, but there we go. Here we go. Here's the independent version of the story. Let's see if this crashes my computer or not. So several liquid bodies have been found under the South Pole of Mars, according to a major new study. The findings give extra credence to previous research that suggested there could be a large saltwater lake underneath the Martian surface claim the researchers, which and also led to them discovering a number of other wet areas. The findings could be key in the search for alien life on the planet, the researchers note, given as life as we know it requires liquid water to survive. Now, this is a really stupid science, science fiction-y question. Do we it. know that all life requires water, or life as we human beings know requires water? Um... Well, sorry, sorry, say that again? So we as human beings believe that all life requires water to exist. If it's a different mm. planet, is it in theory that there is some sort of life form forged of Mars that, oh, may, yeah, that... Not, may not require any type of water to survive? That's definitely possible. That Yeah, there's there's no reason necessarily why life, if it originated in somewhere else, even has anything close to the same... It would have to have some kind of replicating structure and some kind of way of absorbing energy from somewhere and using that to grow and reproduce. But it doesn't have to be the same format or same structure or same kind of cell basis as any of the things that we have. Is it even true that every single organism on Earth requires water? I don't know that that's true. Maybe it is. I I don't. Do all fungi require water? I I don't know. I don't know. We've got biologists who follow the show. If Let us know. Let us know whether it does or not. But I think also life... We're, I th- we're going to have uh, an author on talking about this in a few weeks, but life as we know it started in the oceans and started in the the primordial, primordial soup, as it's called. But yeah. that, that, had, that was a water-based environment. Right. So yeah, so it's so theoretically, this would just mean that perhaps we were discovering Mars 
at the beginning of its Earth cycle. And what we're going to do as human beings is show up as those primordial things are crawling out of the goop, step on them, eat them, fuck <laughs> them. Sure. <laughs> start our new society. Yeah, that's the plan. So let me ask you also this. Of this, the, the current obsession with Mars within sort of the billionaire aerospace community. What is the right. actual conditions on Mars? Like, are they actually habitable or is it literally just a guy who's good at sending books through through email and a guy who's good <laughs> at putting batteries in cars are like, fuck it, we're going to Mars? <laughs> well, it, it is a bit of that. It, well, it's like, it's the next frontier. It's the... It's the closest, not completely shitty other celestial body. We've, we've been on the moon. Venus is hot as fuck. It's like 800 degrees Fahrenheit yeah. all the time. It's hotter than Mercury. And, um, and also just the atmosphere is just, is I think, acidic. It's just pure acid. It's, yeah, so it's the, th- it's the thing that is even vaguely colonizable, even for short terms. You couldn't land on Venus and survive. And it's the next nearest body to us past the moon. So it's, screw it, let's go there. Yeah, because it's, you know, it's the next frontier. It's the next place. I, I don't think people are doing it with a genuine view to this is the next place that humans, w- w- this is where we'll move to when we break Earth. But some, I, I mean, some lay people think that, and it's hilarious that they think it would be easier to terraform this completely desolate landscape than to just try to solve what yeah. we've been doing wrong here. Like, to terraform the ludicrous. planet that we have that is already <laughs> yeah. 95% of the way to habitable and has just right. slipped below the habitable zone. Yeah, like I, I always think about this where it's like instead of like building a bunch of penis shaped rockets to go fuck the red planet. <laughs> oh, come on. How else are they going to be shaped to make, make them not aerodynamic? I mean, it's just by pure coincidence. And also, the, the original NASA shuttles were not that uh, genital-shaped. They were more just like, you know, silly fighter jets. I'm talking about specifically Jeff Bezos, is, all of his prototypes for his space program. Like, you're having a laugh there, Bezos. You're having you're having a Roy Chubby because Brown, mate. The, rock, the rocket has a, has a glance. Place, even amongst rockets, you're saying it's particularly phallic. Yes, it's exactly. Like, it's one of those ones where it's like a psychiatrist is having a field day with the look of that. Do you know what I'm saying? <laughs> I mean, obviously, we're joking, but and obviously there is a very good reason why they would have that, that shape, right? I mean, there's no possible way. It's a design choice that doesn't have direct links to... Efficiency. Yeah, yeah I, I mean, I doubt, I doubt Bezos is sitting there, like, leaning over his scientists and designers saying, make it more bulbous. <laughs> I, you hope not. I need more swelling at the base. Yeah. <laughs> Give us some extra boosters. Let's make it curve a little bit for some reason. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and maybe if it could vent some kind of liquid from the top. Like, <laughs> like you know how the venting's from the side? What if we just have, like, look. Yeah, wouldn't it? You know, I know you're doing continuous ba- venting right now, but m- m- just run the algorithms to see how spurting, like if it spurts to v- vent. Mm-hmm. Yeah, can there be two small er- orbs that just feel very pleasurable when gently tugged? Gently. Um, but it's, again, it's one of those things. So the story I clicked on, I haven't actually read it. I've just been saying rude things about billionaires. But so the idea is, and and again, maybe the article explains this, but... How do they find water or what is the evidence of water in those – because I've read this before. It's like, oh, there's water on this asteroid. How do they actually find that? Is it probes or uh, – So it, 
they do it in multiple different ways. So this one, it says in the article, the discovery was made using MARSIS, which is the Mars Advanced Radar for Subsurface and Ionosphere Sounding, which is aboard the Mars Express spacecraft sent by the European Space Agency to orbit around Mars. So the instrument sends radar pulses that can penetrate the surface and the ice caps of Mars that they can then be measured as they bounce back towards the spacecraft, allowing researchers to delve into the planet without actually touching it. Fascinating. Yeah, that's what they're doing. They're orbiting the planet and bouncing these radars uh, pulses off of the surface of the planet and below the surface of the planet in there. By seeing how by seeing how long it takes and how it comes back and how the frequencies changed, I'd imagine. Do you guys and every so time on. you hear about a space agency doing something with Mars, just remember the Mars lander that they programmed one aspect of it in feet and the other aspect of it in yards, so it ended up just crashing onto the surface of the planet. Was that Mars? I, I yeah, I remember it happening. It was it was metric and imperial measurements was the screw up. I think it was feet and meters. Oh, there is a remember what it was. It was definitely Mars because it was one of the like it was one of like. I don't know if you guys remember the Bush years of America, but it was one of those times where they were always trying to, um, uh, they were always trying to make it sort of like, uh, like this is another triumph for America, and they just couldn't get anything right. <laughs> By the way, in the sidebar stories next to this article, it claims that the White House Supreme Court announcement is suspected as a COVID super spreader event. And there's a video showing that an infected senator was hugging multiple attendees. That's phenomenal. Oh That's phenomenal. Like, it just again, I don't want to, you know, dwell, but I'm just saying I am a firm and glorious agnostic. And, but some of this does really make me feel like God is on our side or my <laughs> side, where he's just like, give that one that and let's get rid of some of these idiots. <laughs> It's just insane. The whole thing is, uh, I'm just thinking back on the early days of the pandemic when I was optimistic that the undeniability of when, when people start dying will, will make everybody like believe in the concept of empiricism and science again. And it's, it's just crazy that it hasn't at all. I, I can't believe it. It's done yeah. nothing. I mean, that's but that's I don't such think a rose tinted I... view of science as well. Like that, that really is someone who comes from a STEM background, just going like, just when this happens, then they'll see. Then they'll know <laughs> science is right. And it's just like, no, they just go, they accelerate harder into their corners and justify it in a more ludicrous way. Yeah, I, yep. I, do, I do think, though, that you're, you're looking at it as one of those things where we're only seeing, we're seeing the people living now. This is a weird thing where it's like, you have to look at the next generations that are living through this as kids. And they're going to grow right. up with whoever finds this pandemic is going to be portrayed like a superhero they are going to have faith in science. You know what I'm saying? Like, it may not necessarily I, be like that in America, but other countries are going to be like, oh, no, these, you know, these, enra- you know, these Mossad agents pretending to be scientists had the uh, vaccine all along in a vault and they just figured it out or whatever it turns out to be. You know what I mean? Like, the people I, are going to. I don't know, because that, that implies that the young people are taking it mo- the most seriously of any demographic. And I don't think it's about age. I think it's about pre-existing sort of um, political leanings and urban versus rural. Mm, and I, yes. I think there's plenty of young people who are just of the mind that like this sucked that everyone was locked down this hard and it was over it was overkill and yeah i don't i, I don't think it's true that the next generation are going to come out of this with more faith in the concept of science i think well, a lot are just going to hate the, hate the leftists and hate the government and um, i guess particularly because um it's an illness that just that predominantly affects older people yeah yeah 
It's a yeah. bummer. Sorry to be a doubter. But. That's fine. No, we can also have different opinions. I also am a Lord Mayor. Of I really try and be sort of un alarmingly positive which has been very difficult in the last five years <laughs> and i yeah. also i just base it off my own perspective of just sort of you know a lot of things i had my head turned around by personal experience and looking at the world and i do realize that a lot of people actually don't live their life that way and don't go like oh wait a minute you know what i mean like you know what i'm saying like a lot of people have you know brilliant confirmation bias of like oh no it's you know, direct result of me feeling like that doesn't actually mean that the world is like that, where it's like, no, actually supporting, like, even if you don't understand science going, listen, there's, there's things you can prove with science. You can't prove with anything else. Like, yeah. Yeah. You know, the idea that as much as everyone wants to stop progress, progress is ever moving forward and has been ever moving forward within. History no, no, just, that's to- totally not true. <laughs> but this is again, it's, different totally no no it's that's not true like i was listening to that, that podcast i mentioned before about the president the podcast called presidential just presidential history oh i listened to the whole thing so yeah the episode about buchanan and talking about how much more tolerant like it was basically known that he was gay and no one cared like we think we are currently at the most progressive time in the history of all cultures like no there have been plenty of times before this that were more progressive and more well, open-minded but, but, on, on the, plenty of topics it's not the, a, it's not a constant progression towards everything being open-minded and inclusive or something it's it's not a constant progression that's true but it's also the thing there is a there is an extreme difference of yes there's always going to be human beings with hate in their heart but we are at a place when you let's say using the example of homo, the acceptance of homosexuality as just part of the human tapestry and not this shocking thing this is the first time in a long time within Except with maybe the um, except for maybe uh, Greek uh, civilization, this is the first time where it's a mandate of law that they can totally be married. It's uh, shirking off the structures of religion that have been holding back human society for a long time and imposing these unnecessary rules because they were based off of some scrolls translated in a hall a million right. billion years ago. But again. You are correct in that there have been blips in times so when we take steps back, we move forward. I think that right now we're definitely in a big old step back. There's a lot of anti-intellectual thought and a lot of anti-science thought. And on both sides of the political spectrum. You know, there's not like, there's not like Absolutely. This is just, yeah, yeah. But also, there at the same time, there is this sort of wave of people being inspired into STEM subjects and in particular, young women being inspired into STEM subjects in a way that they weren't in the past. So that's now 50% of the population that is less excluded from science than they were in years past. That's far more potential scientists. Right. I mean, we also have a crisis of, of boys failing, but, you know, whatever. We'll deal with that in the next generation, I guess. <laughs> yeah, it's totally but true. It's, but, you know, in general, I, I don't think I don't think a weird comedy science podcast would have got any traction at all. Uh, that's a good point. That's, Fifteen uh, years ago, you've changed if podcasts my mind. were a thing back then. <laughs> I think you. we're we're riding on the wave of a certain amount of acceptance of the nerdier side of things yeah. that that's is very, that's higher a, than it was in years past. Oh boy, was it! And the other thing that is interesting is that in especially, and this is maybe just some sort of metropolitan elitism garbage from my part, but there is a certain rebelliousness that science has that it hasn't had in my lifetime it wasn't it wasn't like whoa he's into evolution wasn't like shocking 20 years ago there are parts of the you you, in arizona you can say like actually evolution is the law of the land that is what happened and people are gonna be like what you're crazy 
and that does inspire a lot of people to just follow that rabbit hole down because you know human beings also at a certain point are like ah, let's be let's be contrarian and sometimes contrarianism works out really well for everybody yeah actually that's a, what about the um the flat earth movement and anti-vaxxers and anti i mean i was hoping like, you uh, weren't going to bring yeah. up the flat earth movement and anti-vax <laughs> as because... an argument for why progress is not inevitable and not always that, yes no it is not always happening although again you know anti-vaxxing uh and uh, the flat earth movement also shows the acceptance in our society at this point now because you know uh, speaking as someone who does believe that progress is in some ways ever moving forward, um, I do wish that there was a time where we could just kill those people for being <laughs> so stupid. It's painful. I see. The problem is it's not OK. This shouldn't be the topic of the whole podcast, but it's not about people's individual failings. It's about the information crisis we're living through that, that shows. Well, no I, end I, of I, mean, this I is, think it, those are two sides of the same coin. Like people. People now have so much more access to science and to scientists and STEM stuff in general because of the speed and democracy of information. But the flip side of that is that bullshit is equally accessible in equally high rates. Right, right. And it's a, and the problem we do have is that especially in a lot of in a lot of countries, is also the system of education has been eroded and the system of and the education when it comes to critical thought has been absolutely smashed where people just straight up believe something they saw on the internet because someone in a lab coat said it or Jenny McCarthy said it on The View <laughs> and it was The View and no one just told her to shut up. Like <laughs> in the end, the anti-fax movement can be traced to Jenny McCarthy said not getting my kid vaccinated <laughs> cured his autism. The issue is he never had autism. She just said he did. Right. But how, how do you prove that not doing something cured somebody of something? What is the moment right. when you gave him the non-vaccine? Exactly. Oh, what a brilliant point to the, yeah. What's the moment? Yeah. What's the moment where you didn't do something that caused the not thing he didn't have to not happen? <laughs> yeah. That's, uh, God, it's it's that. amazing that the spokespeople are sort of Jenny McCarthy, <laughs> Rob Schneider, <laughs> Donald Trump, the worst of the young Kennedys. What's, yeah. Wait, what? Yeah, a bunch of the Kennedys. Kennedys. Which yeah, one is it? I think it, because isn't it one of many because Bobby Kennedy had like ten kids, and like when you get like to the younger ones where it was just like I assume Ethel was just like exhausted on a fainting sofa, being like, "Why did I say yes to that man so many there, times?" There we go. It's um, it's Robert F. Kennedy Jr. He's anti-vax. That's very nice. much so. He's one of the biggies. And he's he's published books and oh, maybe I, we did t- maybe that came up in the podcast at some point. And he is yeah he's RFK's son. That's a huge bummer. But Fun. you know it's I mean it's all originally trans traceable back to Andrew Wakefield who was the one who started it all with the completely debunked fraudulent study that yeah. but that was published by the Lancet and then they had you know they retracted it and. He was struck off from the medical register in the UK and prosecuted successfully for fraud. But now he's in America. You know, he's still doing well. He's in a, in fact, he's dating someone ridiculous as well. I can't remember who it is. It's like one of the 80 supermodels. <laughs> and one, of the, like, in, super, one of the like five who were in the George Michael video. Yeah, and he's, he's in America still propagating his lies and running clinics and selling his own products that supposedly prevent like autism or safe vaccines or whatever right inevitable progress there we go um 
here we go. I'm trying to find the 80s dating. supermodel that he's dating. It, to, according to this... <laughs> not, sorry, Linda? I got the decade wrong. He, it's 90s supermodel. Wait, don't, don't tell... El- oh, sorry. Uh, oh, did wait. I just... I got the first name. Elle McPherson? No, he's not, is he? He is no. straight up dating Elle McPherson. Oh, man. That makes me hate him so much more. He's stealing my woman. <laughs> God damn him. If only you had being directly responsible for a wave of measles deaths across the world yeah is he is he a cute guy what's his uh... he is not he i is... mean no you can't deny he's he's i can deny it i'm denying it right now he looks awful <laughs> he's he's at full... i don't know he's kind of got a tom hardy thing going does he a little bit. He had a Tom Hardy know. thing going like 15 years ago. Now he just has a weird foldy face. Okay. He's one of those guys that's in too much. You, you know, yeah. people that live in Southern California. One of those guys that you see in a yoga class where you're like, you've had just enough plastic surgery that no one will notice, but also so much so that in five, like that you cannot gain or lose any weight. You have to maintain exactly where you are, or you're just going <laughs> right, to get that right. weird like lasso opso face. <laughs> Yeah, I'm flipping around and finding some flattering pictures and some not so. Uh, Whatever. And That's how all of us would be if you Google it. Also, fun fact about the Flat Earth movement. Uh, one of the main spokespeople and guys who claimed to have been a uh, PR person for NASA that did the paintings of Earth. I did comedy with him in the middle 2000s in Montreal. <laughs> What's his name? Oh, wait. he's Is he the one who showed up in the documentary? He's the one who showed up in the documentary that either goes by yeah. Matt Powerland or Matt Boylan. He right, has been right. mentioned on this show before because he also spent some time in London and sublet, or I, I don't think he even charges him because that's not the kind. Oh, no, I knew it. it. Phil Nickel. Yeah. I should have told you. I shouldn't have even given you the name. You would have known instantly because Phil, I used to, when I used to live with Phil and then when he moved into his own place, it is frequently the home for errant canadian comedians like any any canadian comic who's lost somewhere in london will end up crashing in phil's place at Straits some point and runaways baby it's and fascinating he's, he's far too kind he really and is has far too much um love for freaks and oddities yeah no, and matt is crazy he lived in a place with no like it's one of those things where it's like i don't believe it's not true um, and it, because it's like, I know that guy, he didn't have a shower. No one works for NASA that doesn't have a shower. <laughs> <laughs> so he's, he's been mentioned on the show multiple times, including before this documentary came out. You might remember a while ago, one of the live shows that we did with Sean Carroll. And I mentioned someone that we met at a party once who claimed that the way to avoid chemtrails was to always breathe out more than you breathe in. <laughs> that was Matt. <laughs> that was him. One of the all-time great quotes. Yeah, you always breathe out more than you breathe in. And then, like, to which a other friend of the show, Kerry Marks, went, wouldn't you deflate? And he went, no, it's a technique. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's, that's hard. That's science. That yeah. is scientific. So method. there you go. Well, while we are talking about stuff through history, I found this nice story in the BBC news website. What wobbling rocks can tell us about nuclear safety. and previous seismic activity so you know those precariously balanced rocks that some places have those some sites have where there's a seemingly unbalanced how is it not tipped over yet yeah rock standing on its end yeah exactly kicks it over yeah exactly you know if you're a dickhead scout group you do push it over but most of the time you just sort of stand next to it and look like or pretend to be pushing it or whatever so in, tr- in truth, they are not 
precarious balance. The disturbance needed to unsettle the blocks is quite significant. And that got husband and wife geology duo, Doctors Dylan and Anne Rude. The, the Rude... The Rudes. The Rude boys. Mr. and Mrs. Yeah. Rude. Yeah. They are. They were wondering... It's R-O-O-D, in case you were, you were concerned. They were wondering about how these great stones could be used to decipher earthquake history. If a previously balanced rock has held its position for 10,000 years without tipping over, it means the land around the stone has not experienced shaking above a certain level in this time. That makes sense. The turn of phrase we're trying to coin is that these precariously balanced rocks, or PBRs, Hell yeah. are, are an inverse seismometer, says Anna. A normal seismometer records an event that has happened, whereas our PBR is still standing there, and so it records an earthquake that hasn't happened, specifically a large one which is really useful information if you want to build a nuclear power station or waste repository or maybe a major dam or bridge. Oh, yeah. Yeah, knowing how robust that structure needs to be requires an understanding of the seismic hazards that could reasonably be foreseen during its lifetime. Can it expect a certain threshold of shaking once every 100 years or 1,000 or indeed every 10,000 years? The answer will bear directly on the cost of a safe construction as well as the insurance risk. Planners may be fortunate in that the location where they want to put up that new power station has already got a detailed instrument record of seismic behavior, but there'll be places where the record is sparse, where it's known that large tremors can occur, but where the history of the size and frequency of events is patchy. For these sites, geologists will normally conduct what's called a probabilistic (coughs) seismic hazard analysis, in which they'll try to model the possibilities, taking account of all the potential local sources of earthquakes, like nearby fault lines. But what these people have shown is that any precariously balanced rock in the vicinity can be used to constrain those models by excluding the most far out there possibilities. That makes sense. Yeah. So as a proof of principle, they studied PBRs near the Diablo Canyon nuclear power plant in coastal central California, which are tall chert blocks that have eroded free of the surrounding rock platform and as a consequence could fall over given the right amount of shaking. But precisely how much shaking would be needed and how long the blocks have been in their freestanding state are two unknowns the team had to solve using PBRs as inverse seismometers. There's a picture of her standing next to it. It looks like a sort of... looks like a foot cut off at the ankle that is upended, that's upside down on a rock that she's standing next to. That it does. And the amount of shaking is worked out by taking loads of photos of the PBR and making a 3D model. Various equations will then elicit the strength of the ground accelerations required to topple it. And working out the second part, the age of fragility, relies on a smart technique that tracks charges induced in the rocks as they've been exposed to energetic space particles through time. So cosmic rays, when they hit the oxygen atoms in Chert's quartz minerals, will generate the radioactive element beryllium-10. Counting the amount of beryllium-10 in the block's surfaces gives an estimate for how long the stones have been in their precarious situation. (coughs) So yeah, you can work it out from then. You can, you work out how long the rock's been standing, the fact that it's been standing, and how much shaking would be needed to have toppled it. And you know that much shaking hasn't happened in that much time. Exactly that. Now, I don't want to be a uh, pessimistic peak here, but why don't just build any nuclear power station as safe as possible to withstand anything, <laughs> no matter what the data tells you? Like, I actually find this to be a, a very <laughs> fascinating way to approach it. But this also smells like a committee to me where they're like, we need a nuclear power station, but let's knock a couple of mil off so we can get new toilet seats for the office. <laughs> yeah. It's like, no, 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 no. Let's make it. Let's, uh, d- let's dig a few meters less deep in the foundations here. Yeah, like, get rid of the rollers. Like, no, let's just like, I think that's a fascinating <laughs> study that does prove like <laughs> that's really airtight in terms of determining the area of safety. 
at the same time, no. Like, for nuclear power plants, I'm like, tough. I think that this is a great city for dams, bridges, all of that. Like, does anyone else remember Fukushima? Let's let's build it safe, let's build it modern, <laughs> and let's build it today. Yeah, you. I do agree with that. You do want it to be able to withstand, like, a 7 or an 8. Yeah. Because also, as cool as this article is, and this is, like, it's utterly fascinating, also makes me feel really old, because one of the people, one of the scientists in this proving the Sydney is clearly younger than I am, based on the photograph, and I'm... Yeah, she does look pretty young. And this is just, like, how do you have a doctorate? Oh, yeah, I'm in my mid-30s. Like, it's like, people can have doctorates now. Um, <laughs> but it's one of those things where it's like, that's a bridge too far. But I am utterly... Fa- of course, it's one of those things where... Of course, a, a rock in an odd position, if it's been there for 10,000 years, there's been no earthquake. What a fascinating discovery. Still, build the foundation for the um, <laughs> nuclear power plant as deep as possible. I, I Yeah, I don't disagree with that. But I, I guess it could also be whether it's even safe to build a power plant there at all. Like, can you build a power plant there and... You know, you need power plants all around the place to power those cities that it's near to. Is it da- is it too dangerous to even consider putting a nuclear power plant there? Yeah. Also, and then you can be like, no, look at these, look at all these rocks that are standing up on their own that people are pretending to push the over. The other problem with this type of science is this is what makes science look bad: is that if they build a nuclear power plant there, there is a breach and a problem, and then they're like, ah, uh, we did the inverted seismic. Um, rock study and then you're like well we looked at rocks that were in weird places and they hadn't moved for a bit so we thought we were fine that makes science look like a real bag of garbage because people are like these fucking <laughs> idiots are looking at rocks trying to figure out if it's yep. good enough for a nuclear power plant where it's like no you're n- we're prison yeah you, sh- you should have done the reverted seismograph you're doing the seismograph in the wrong direction yeah guys. like it's just one of those things where it's like no no it actually does make sense if you think about it but you're not thinking about it so I'm sorry yeah yeah it's all a probability I'm also just fascinated by this Diablo Canyon power plant that I didn't know existed that is mere miles from one of the most beautiful parts of California that I love to, f- to frequent when I have free time. Uh, it's, do you know, have you heard of it before? Yeah, no, I haven't, I. but it's, are it's you going to make a trip out there next time you're on a... Well, it's interesting. It's, uh, you know where San Luis Obispo yeah. is? Yeah. And south of there is Pismo Beach, north of there is Morro Bay, and in between is sort of this vast area of inaccessible beach because SLO is inland, and this canyon, this power plant is right in the middle of that sort of inaccessible area. So I don't, I don't even know. So I'm next time you're see. up there surfing, you could fit in a little power plant visit. Ah, uh, yeah, I, I'm very curious about this place. I just had, I guess, I didn't think for some reason I thought California had no operating nuclear power plants. I don't know why I thought that. Well, or because it feels like a California thing to have, to not have. Yeah. Yeah, I guess, except we all, we all kind of know that even though Chernobyl sucked, like, it's kind of our best shot at pretty clean power. Well, that's, it's, it's like the, you know, that stat that plane travel is substantially safer than driving, but people are a lot more scared of getting on a plane. And it's just because plane like travel seems so unnatural, and when it right. goes wrong, it's spectacularly wrong. Right, right. And I think it's the same with nuclear power, where it's substantially safer on average than a loads of other types of power generation and better for the environment because it's doesn't generate nearly as much global warming but but also when it does go wrong it is yeah half of a continent can end up covered in 
sure. of radioactive yeah. dust. It's also the. Uh, I just want to say that I do appreciate that California, if it does have a working power plant uh, in the Diablo Canyon, puts it away from people as opposed to Britain, where most of their nuclear power plants you can just see from a train station that part that's literally in like is inexplicably close to the smokestacks and makes you incredibly uncomfortable every time you're there. Well, but that <laughs> that's also because Britain, there is no part of Britain that isn't near to the towns. Like there is, like maybe if you go right up into the highlands of Scotland, just put them all about, there, then baby. Put them all there. There, there isn't, there is no, none of, there's no middle of nowhere sure, in Britain. I agree with you. We we just don't have it in the way that America does, and particularly Canada does. You have the the population density. Oh, it's mostly nowhere. Of, yeah, Canada. I mean, it's, you know, it's a bigger landmass by far than America, and a tenth of the population. Yes, absolutely. Totally agree with everything you're saying. I'm, but I still don't think you should put the train station. Like, there's at least two train stations I can think of where it's like it's a thin elementary school sized fence, and then you're stood on the grounds of a nuclear power plant. Like, just put them so I can't see it. Like, put a hill there. Do something. Just grow some furs to, to mask again. It. It's one of those things where it's like you know, there's like certain safety precautions that do nothing. Like. Uh, like there's certain things on a airplane where it's like, oh, the crash position is probably going to do fuck all, but it will make you feel better as the airplane is crashing. Like, it's you know, let me live in my ignorant fantasy world. Yeah, I think I wonder what the, the crash position must, the brace, the brace position must have some effect. I heard, unless it's just to stop you from getting up and fucking around and getting in the I way. I read in one of those like fight club style books that wasn't flight fight club that it's done in such a way that if you hit the ground it actually kills you so that you're not then just a survivor but i i know i've heard that before but i'm almost certain that is 100 percent think that, it's bullshit. that reeks of yeah, that, that reeks of just like shitty gen x nihilism you know what i'm saying Cra- the, the crash position is yeah. gonna take you out man <laughs> Yeah, because also, what would be the advantage of that? Yeah. <laughs> like, what, so like, what, what, like, who's designing this thing and just going like, well, we could have some people who survive in a coma and just are, are uh, you know, paralyzed maybe, but no, I think it's better if we just kill everyone on yeah, board. It's, <laughs> Let's just do But that. it's again, it's one of... It's just ensure that we kill It's one of those everyone. things where sometimes I'm just fine with ignorance, and I like that, like, oh, I, I, like, I did know that nuclear power is actually very clean i like that nuclear power plants are away from me in california and i don't like seeing them in britain and i know that we shouldn't be uh comfortable with certain with any type of ignorance but i'm fine to be ignorant of where something that is a symbol of you know nuclear dust spreading across half a country i'm just fine if that's hidden from view sometimes i just don't need i don't need to know where it is so this place gets this Diablo Canyon one is pretty well hidden. Uh, I was just doing some research, and it's the only operating nuclear power plant in California. Also, the biggest producer of power in California by a pretty big margin. Um, it can put out 2.2 gigawatts or gigawatts if you're Doc Brown, uh, and an annual generation of 18,000 gigawatt hours. Thank you very much for bringing this up. Is it gigawatts or gigawatts? No, it's just it is. a sign of the times of like how how little technology there was that had that as a prefix that that wasn't even a known way. To, you know, people didn't know it, that wasn't it, how you pronounce it. Yeah, it's definitely giga rather than jigga. But yeah, like Andy said, it wasn't. You know, if you had a computer, if it had sort of 
32 kilobytes of memory. I was like, that's pretty powerful. So it was um, no, that we almost had nothing in our life that was measured in giga anything. So, yeah, it was literally just like, no, it's. So he just, he's like, um, doc, I can't, I'm trying to think. Christopher Lloyd just made up what he thought it was pronounced like, and. Yeah, and no one, there wasn't a fact checker on set who was like, hey, that should be a hard G. Fascinating. Excelsior. <laughs> I'm just looking up real quick to see if anyone knows if it was, maybe someone else on set was like, yeah, you got it right. Um, I'm finding an yeah, article I mean, about it. Um, in the realm of movie mistakes, it's a fairly simple one. Right. Yeah, it is. It's also, you know, it's an interesting one in that I always think of like Back to the Future as like, man, that movie was pretty scientifically accurate. And then I'm like, what are you talking about? It's about time travel. It's not accurate at all. Yeah. Well, every time travel movie is, you know, has its issues. There's a, there's a certain amount of suspension of disbelief. Oh, wait a second, you Even guys. beyond the basic suspension of disbelief of time travel. Please tell me it's actually Giga and everyone else has been saying Giga. Uh, oh, that'll make my day. I love this. An article that says Merriam-Webster accepts both pronunciations. <gasps> it's wow. a real aluminum-aluminium situation we got on our hands. Let's see. Which one does Canada do? Aluminum. Those two? Oh, okay, interesting. But you do the British spelling of most things. You're like a color with a U. Of course. Z as opposed to Z. Interesting. Do you call them ZZ Top? I do, yes. And people hate me for it. <laughs> <laughs> They get very upset. Uh, That's such a good. Oh, I'm going to use that against British people because I've I lived there for a long time, and they do love the like. Oh, you guys say this, and you always need like the comeback and ZZ top. Oh, that's very good. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's great. Oh, guys, okay, here's something from somebody transcribing um, voiceover commentary from Back to the Future. This producer named Bob Gale. Um, he says, I should talk about gigawatts for a second. The proper pronunciation is, of course, gigawatts with a hard G. And when Bob Zemeckis and I were doing research, we talked to somebody who mispronounced it gigawatts. And we were actually completely unfamiliar with the term, and we thought that was how it was supposed to be said. It does come from the Greek root gigas. That, that Greek root is pronounced with a J sound, not a G sound. So I guess gigas for gigantic. Oh, gigantic, not gigantic. Um, so I suppose it's not. Hang on, it's not gigantic. <laughs> I, I've always so pronounced it gigantic. <laughs> no, I guess I have also. That's this right. Is... Yeah. Um, so he says, my, "Yeah, my mind is blown right now." <laughs> <laughs> uh, so Bob Gale says, "I suppose it's not beyond the realm of possibility, but never having heard of it, we actually spelled it in the script J I G O watt." So, so Christopher Lloyd was just reading. So yeah, a gigawatt is actually supposed to be a gigawatt, a million watts. Um, no, a billion. <laughs> then he gets it wrong in his own commentary. Oh, that's even better. He says, he says a gigawatt is supposed to be a gigawatt, a million watts. So that's a megawatt. Uh, so the mystery of the gigawatts is now solved. Yeah, it was written by someone who has no oh, idea what science is. And he's like, it was supposed to be a million yeah. watts. But they also spelled it phonetically for Christopher Lloyd. So you can't blame him for then. It's like one, one time we were, Matt and I wrote for this science show. Um, this is probably also a can of worms pronunciationally. Um, and we were talking heads on it. And I was doing the talking head for maybe it was like a power plant episode it was a show about building giant things and uh i have always pronounced the thing that generates power turbine like engine um oh to me it's it's the same it's the same as like template you don't say template you sound like a dumb person who's never heard someone talk when you say template 
So I'm doing the VO or I'm doing the thing and I'm saying turbine because that's the word. And then the director like stops me and forces me to say turbine, which is like fingernails on a blackboard. It's not how I have never said anything other than yeah, turbine. I know. yeah. But I mean that's Tur- chalk that up to Brit- regionalism. But like yeah, because if you said turbine in like pronounce it like that in Britain, they would only hear the headdress. head covering the seats. I get that, but, Andy, but it's just my... it's it's the same way that engine is not engine. It's engine. It's turbine. But, it's just is. Andy, where are you from? I have a weird pet theory. Michigan. Oh. But I mean, Bill Nye says it. Bill Nye says it this way. Like tons of like people who study science say turbine. Like if you if you're saying turbine, you sound like a person who says template who just saw it written once and has never worked on uh, something related. But I to think it. it's an it's an it's an it's a Midwest pronunciation of turbine because I've heard this of certain like Illinois people turbine template like there's just a certain th- but template is just wrong. Template makes you sound so dumb. It's, I've only ever known it as template. Template. Oh, okay. that's what, yeah, template. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah. why I think it, that's why I think it's a, it's a regional accent thing. So it's one of the, it's it's that fascinating thing. And this is also you know, if there's any out of work actors out there looking for uh, uh, listening to this, this is a good thing to note down if you're working on something linguistic for someone from Michigan, Illinois, because it's a flat. Well, Bill Nye's from Bill Nye's from D.C. He says it. Turban. I've seen him in well, interviews. Like confusing. it's more about inside and outside of science. It's like whether you're an, a STEM. Person, no, I'd say it's definitely an American, and you uh, well, within America Chris would never say turbine, right? Well, oh, but sorry, turbine. within America, I think it's like inside jargon versus outsider. It's definitely turbine, like it's definitely. I've never heard, I've heard a lot of British people say turbine, say engine. I do, yes, I, I often say engine. No, but it's like <laughs> that, that, that false. In fact, in fact, to be honest, you almost exclusively say engine. This is the first time I've heard you say words yeah, other yeah, than yeah. that, and it's a real <laughs> very, I'm very unnerving around. Ever, most people. How are you doing? Just going to yeah. go rev the engine. Um, <laughs> but it's again, it's one of those things where when it comes to linguistics, the amount of sort of what, uh, the lack of what about is you can do with a lot of words like, well, it's not engine, but it is turbine. I'm trying to think of an example right now. There was one- No, there's, there's a, there are examples you could find that would counter what I'm saying. I'm just saying like everybody I've ever heard in a science context use that word has used it as done as turban and every time a layperson says it they say that's it's true but it's what i've seen i could also make the point that no no person that is of note in science wears a hat well because of how bad every scientist looks every time they wear a hat that's not true <laughs> it's, it's just, are they bad at hat wearing look Miguel, N- neil degrasse tyson in particular wears a hat horrifically <laughs> I never noticed. It's either way too forward on its head. It's never he's it's and it's always some sort of ludicrous like like a cowboy hat paired with like a winter coat that's not cloth like he's wearing like a like a ski jacket. Like he just looks like a jerk. Like maybe maybe you just need the kind of brain that can think outside the box that makes you good at science and also makes you think of unconventional hats. You know what I'm saying? You there's a certain there's unconventional and then there's unconventional. You know what I'm saying? Sure. Sure. It's like you can be unconventional in your diet and then there's someone who's just like, "Uh, can you blend my fish?" and you're like, "No, I can't. I can't do that." <laughs> we live in a society. <laughs> you don't like a submarinal smoothie? <laughs> I mean, when you put it that way, I certainly do, actually. Yeah. Are you going to pop into the old cowboy tub and have a submarinal smoothie? Ooh. <laughs> it sounds nice. I, right? I'm, I'm getting straight in the cowboy Gosh tub. Gosh darn right, you are. It's 100 degrees out here. Well, then we should wrap it up so you can get in the tub, but also because we've probably come to about the natural end of this episode. Yeah. 
and I'm, John, sorry, go ahead. Oh, sorry, what were you going to say? I'm just going to say, I know listeners are going to be mad at me. I think we've even had the turban discussion before, but please feel free to email probablyscience at gmail.com to tell me how elitist I'm being. And also, if you're a scientist who considers that they wear a hat very particularly well, please send in a picture of yourself behatted. Yeah, please. You can tweet me at the John Hastings, and I guarantee you don't look. You there's something off kilter with your hat choice. <laughs> you may wear the hat you're wearing well, but the hat you're wearing is inappropriate for what you are doing. You know what I'm saying? It's not a contextual exactly. hat. Exactly. It's, it's, a... it's like if someone's wearing a beret on a construction site, there's technically nothing wrong with it, but you're just like, don't do this. This is not the time or the place. I mean, that might actually be technically wrong because of the danger of things falling. That is that one of, that's you. the main yeah. thing is going, no, you, it's one of the, if you saw someone in a beret on a construction site, you'd be unsafe. You'd feel unsafe in that building 10 years later because you're like, what? What was that guy doing? Like, they're, like, what was the poet? What was his involvement? Like, were they feng shuiing the beams? Yeah, it just makes you very uncomfortable. It's like in any sci-fi movie when they go on a, on a, plan, on a journey to another planet, the, the ragtag team has to have one, like, you know, soft side, or one artist yeah. to round out the crew, which they would never have, they would ne- you know, just to make the movie interesting. This is the thing about sci-fi fiction that always bugs the shit out of me, is they never explain where all the air is coming from for their ships. And it, oh, I'm always like, where are the air tanks? Like we've been in, we've been flying in this capsule for 15 years, and it's like, where are you getting your air from? Air is a finite resource. <laughs> well, it would be theoretically being recycled, for the most part. So, you you can, there are ways if you have a way of getting energy into the system. You know, plants can turn carbon dioxide and water vapor back into oxygen. So. There are ways that machines can do it, as long as you've got an energy source, which those ships wow. do have. So they can do that. You can recycle that. be explained. It was explained in the not great movie by Danny Boyle, Sunshine. Uh, it, I have not it's seen the that. Fir- it's the best, be- great two- first two acts, terrible third act. Um, by the way, breaking news. I'm, my prediction may already be wrong. Our president has just been taken to Walter Reed. Oh. Although... As a precautionary measure, apparently. Well, thoughts and prayers and all that. Yep. Wow. So it didn't even last the the length of a podcast for my pre- guarantee to be incorrect. Oh, man. Incorrect. If he dies before we put this episode up, do we have to take this episode down? No, we we'll just, you know, we we'll just go like his uh, historical quirk. But yeah. I also, I don't think he will. No, that's, yes. Yeah, if he dies, does that mean Mike Pence wins the election? Oh, I don't even know what happens. Well, yeah, it depends on... I did look this up at some point to say what happens if the president... If a president dies... It depends on when it happens. But I think if he dies before the election, then it would be... He would take over the ticket. So it would be Biden versus Pence. And if it happens after the election has been won, then I think he gets inaugurated as president, I think. It would have to be that. Yeah. How else could it go down? So either way, he does become, or oh, sorry, he becomes president at least briefly. Mm-hmm. That's crazy. Oh man! Well, again, it's probably not going to happen, but uh, yeah, but I don't think fascinating it's turn of events. Yes, very interesting time to be alive. And according to CNN, he has been administered an experimental treatment as a precautionary measure. Okay, and is currently fatigued. Interesting. I don't know what this experimental. Yeah, he's treatment tired is. of all this antifa, guys. That's the problem. Yep. He's tired yeah. of this organization that's provably doesn't exist. 
and the Proud Boys that he first condoned, then said he hasn't heard of, and I bet he hasn't heard of them. He was just talking. About fun fact. Fun. Oh my God! Go sorry, ahead. just to. Sorry, what, what are you going to say, Fun John? fact about the Proud Boys, uh, created by a Canadian, which is why, which is always mentioned in all Canadian media Wait. about them. Is that Gavin, Gavin McInnes? McKin- is he Canadian? Gavin McInnes is from uh, our nation's capital, I believe, Ottawa, Ontario, Canada. Also, fun also, fact, he's a failed comedian. Certainly like, is. He, yeah. he ran with all of our co- comedy friends in New York 15, 20 years ago. Yeah. And also, it was sort of co-founded by accident by an actual comedian. There's a, a good article about it. Dante Nero, who's a comedian and hosts like a relationship advice thing. The whole like no fap, oh, no. like holding oh, off, right. masturbate. That was that was like a challenge that he sent. He set to Gavin McInnes on his radio show, and he was involved in the beginning of what they became, and then had to, you know, he got his tattoo lasered off and has denounced them and everything. But he's sort of horrified as I accidentally started this movement. Um, the thing that made me laugh was or react weirdly is. So this experimental treatment that he's been administered, this just sounds like a fake sci-fi company. It is is a company called Regeneron Pharmaceuticals, oh, no. who make Regeneron treatment, like Regenerate, but with Ron on oh, the it end. Oh, turns him back in, It turns him into Ronald Reagan. Yeah, Re- Regeneron. <laughs> it does. Oh my god. I released the following information with the permission of the president. This says this memo. Following PCR confirmation of the president's diagnosis as a precautionary measure, he received a single 8-gram dose of Regeneron's polyclonal antibody cocktail. He completed the infusion without incident. In addition, the president has been taking zinc, vitamin D, famatidine, melatonin, and daily aspirin. I um, mean, this is... He remains in good spirits, fatigued but in good spirits. He's being evaluated by a team of experts, and together we'll be making recommendations to the President and First Lady. Melania Trump remains well with only a mild cough and headache, and the remainder of the First Family are well and tested negative. So, yeah, he's getting, like, it's in phase three trials, This and it's antibody um, therapy he's getting. I wonder if this is going to force his medical records to be released to the public in some real way. And I wonder when we're ever no. going to get confirmation that he's not six foot three. That's the craziest thing about the entire administration. How have we Hang on. tolerated this six foot three nonsense his entire four They've years? They've been lying it's about insane. his age. No, his, his height. height. Oh, pardon me. He's obviously not six three. You've seen him in pictures next to six one and six two people. He's about six one and a half. Like clearly, oh, that's he's not six so three. He's just not. It's so insane. I, like, I just did. There's so much. Is there a possibility? There's Sorry, so much stuff about him that is bullshit that I didn't know that 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 he was even ha- propagating that bullshit. Yeah, he's probably is, six. Isn't one. there a possibility he was six three in his twenties and <sighs> has lost a couple of inches in the subsequent I'm gonna four say, decades? I'm going mean, to say it for I, Andy. No, there isn't that possibility based on nothing <laughs> whatsoever. Yeah, I mean, people do get shorter as they age. But then you you say what your height is at that moment. You don't mm-hmm. say what it was forty yeah. years. I mean, ago. that is yeah. also true. Yeah. Yeah, in the same way you don't get to say I'm 23 because I was 23 once. Can I say I weigh 175 because I did in high yeah. school? I, yeah, I don't know. I used to weigh 360 pounds. Can I say that? And then people are like, <laughs> wow, you look really good for that. Did you actually? I did, yes. Wow. Right. Damn. Nice to show how bad my diet was, I just started eating regularly and exercising and lost 140 pounds. If you guys, speaking of being <laughs> in amazing. your early 20s, that that's what diet, everyone talks about like, oh, this diet worked for me. It's like, well, how old are you? Oh, I'm 23. It's like, oh yeah, your body is in peak physical fitness yeah, with amazing metabolism. Have a great time. I can't believe, ladies and <laughs> gentlemen, Donald Trump has gone to Walter Reed. This is, 
It's crazy. I mean, this is this is utterly fascinating, and it's it's seen like. There are no gods playing at this, but it does seem like it's like, well, listen, everyone's probably headed back into lockdown in the rest of the world, save for Southern California. Let's put on a show for them. Like, that's it's that's really what it seems like at this point. It's everything. I mean, it's so hacky to joke about this year, 2020, but I mean, it's insane. It's <laughs> you can't blame the year, obviously, but just like what? How, how could all these things have? How could there have been a confluence of all these things? The chances are just so... It's Which, crazy. again, one of those things where people are like, well, if, you know, Hillary Clinton was the president, it wouldn't be this crazy. And it would be like, no, it, w- it was an economic crash 10 years ago, which led to the wrong person being elected president at a time that then there was four years of incredible t- um, tumult. And then a pandemic hit, which a lot of people within the scientific community had been calling for for a while that if and when we get this type of virus exposed or released into humanity, this could happen. And it just happened yeah. to all happen within the same year. Yeah. It's also, I'm glad it was 2020. It's a, it sounds like a cool year to have been crazy. 20, yeah, 2023 is going to be very chill. I don't know. I don't know. We'll yeah, see. Well, we'll find out. <laughs> Did we lose Matt? We didn't. Did we? No, no. I'm okay. still here. Sorry. I know we've got a long should, We yes. should wrap yep. it up. So once again, the John Hastings is yes. your Twitter handle, right? If you want to... So tweet at John and also at Probably Science together with pictures of you being a scientist in a hat. Yes, please. Um, and we, you can find us individually at Andy T. Wood, at Matt Kirshen. ProbablyScience.com is the website where we put up all the episodes and also the show notes. ProbablyScience at gmail.com is the email address if you want to send us questions, comments, clarifications, stories you think we should cover. And John, thank you so much thank for Thank you so much us. for having me, guys. This is really fun. Andy, enjoy your cowboy tub. And Matt, Thank enjoy you. whatever it is you're doing, putting, getting things out of your cat's yeah, body. Just, that's exactly what I'm going to be doing. I'm going to be monitoring the cat again to see his appetite did increase. So maybe the having plastic in his stomach was not good no. for his appetite. Well, the things you learn, I guess. Happy for Doug and happy for you. Thank you. Uh, the listeners, thank you very yep. much for joining us. John, Cheers. thank you for joining us. We'll see you next time. Bye.